Hello and welcome to episode 3 of May 1998's Wrestling 20 Years Ago. Uh, part 1 this month is WWF's Over the Edge pay-per-view and part 2 is WCW's Slamboree. But we are here in part 3 to cover all things Wrestlepalooza and surprisingly a fucking huge month's worth of TV. As always, you can support us by giving us money on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 years ago. And for this month's wonderful journey in the world of extreme, we are joined first by Eric. How the devil are we, sir? I'm well. Good to be here as part of the ECW experience and in, uh, in uh, phase two of our uh, journey through time here. And our fearless, illustrious leader, Rory. Checks in the post. Good evening, all. <laughs> so, as is tradition, it is time for the news. And uh, there is a new title in town. So Taz has introduced the FTW, Fuck the World, heavyweight championship this month. And it seems to be to keep a spot open uh, in a main title sort of way until Shane is back from injury. And the Wrestlepalooza numbers are in. Easy for me to say. Yeah, the amount of times I've had misspellings of that in my notes all month. So, Paul Heyman says that the buy rate for the pay-per-view on Request TV and Viewer's Choice has come in at around the 0.24%. That is without several Northeast cable systems reporting their numbers as of yet, but they do believe the numbers should be strong. The buy rate of a 0.25 equals about 80,000 buys, grossing three quarters of a million and 50% increase in the revenue over any previous ECW pay-per-view. There are early independent reports that peg the event at about 30% of those figures. But it looks like uh, maybe Chris Candido isn't enjoying himself. He suffered an injury. So in the main event of a show in New Orleans, which was the debut show in New Orleans, Chris Candido suffers a shoulder injury in his match against Sabu. Candido is scheduled to team with his tag team chat partner, Lance Storm, to go against Sabu and RVD at the ECW Arena next month. But Candido's injury may or may or not prevent him from partaking in the matches scheduled. We will wait to see next month. Oh, a crossover potential uh, for our podcast here. ECW metal album coming. Show and tell with tunes. So, yes, in news that obviously pleases me, and I have already got my pre-order in. In August, we will be having an ECW CD that will be released featuring such wonderful luminaries as the Insane Clown Posse, Rob Zombie, Slayer, Anthrax, Pantera, Biohazard, and Kilgore. And it is believed that once we have this, some of the ECW wrestlers' entrances on shows and TV will be using this music. And yes, I will tell it now before, you know, Rory says no. There may be in August a special I listen to the album and tell you all about it show. Sign me up for that. 
Uh, and uh, in sad and very late breaking news, um, JYD, uh, who appeared this month on Russell Palooza, uh, killed in a car wreck. So uh, Sylvia Sylvester Ritter, better known as JYD, died in a single car auto accident in Mississippi on Tuesday, the 2nd of June. Uh, JYD was 45. Obviously, he has a massive history in Mid-South in the 80s, uh, NWA, WCW, known in the WWF. Um, the reason we're bringing it up here is because he is actually on Wrestlepalooza. Um, the worst part of this story was he was on his way from his daughter's graduation uh, when the accident took place. So obviously thoughts are with the family in what can only be a very, very difficult time. So we are going into the TV for the month and we are opening with month episode one, which literally was hype packages for the pay-per-view. So it's time for the Wrestlepalooza review. Eric, if you could relay us with the results. Sure. Uh, the BWO, that's Meanie and Nova, defeated the FBI and the Big Don in a tag team match, or with the Big Don, I should say. Either way, he was there. Uh, Just Incredible <laughs> defeated Mikey Whipwreck. Uh, Chris Candido and Lance Storm retained the World Tag Team Championships against Balls, Mahoney, and Axel Rotten. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated New Jack. Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman with Beulah uh, defeated the Dudley Boys, uh, really Bubba and Devon, with the rest of the Dudley crew in tow. Uh, Rob Van Dam and Sabu fought to a time limit draw in a contest for the World Television Championship. And for the World Heavyweight Championship, Shane Douglas retained against Al Snow. So, obviously, going into this... Um we knew that Shane was very broken. How were we expecting the show to go when before the show started? Well, I thought this card looked really, really good, and in a lot of ways it delivered. Um, there's a lot of pretty solid matchups on here. Uh, Justin and Mikey is a good uh, kind of the ECW in-ring style. Candido and Storm are always good. Balls and Axel are on the way up. There was just a lot of good stuff on this card. And really, Shane and Al, uh, for me, uh, was kind of an afterthought because we knew Shane was hurt. Um, but we didn't. I at least didn't think Al would be uh, winning the ECW title. So I knew it was going to be kind of a weird match. Shane's not my favorite anyway. So, um, But the card... All that said, this card really never came together uh, for me, and and even kind of including that main event for which I didn't really have high expectations for in the first place. Rory, yeah, I'll definitely expand on this as we go, but uh, I think this show, this pay per view, was ECW themselves in microcosm, and at this point, here we are in the middle of 1998, and I really don't think they know whether they want to stick or twist. Uh, in the Simpsons episode, Homer Palooza, after. Uh, Homer uh, is accosted by Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins. He responds with, Homer Simpson, smiling politely. And I think that is probably summing up my views of this pay-per-view. Fair enough. So we... there's, always, there's always a Simpsons quote, is there not, Eric? Oh, there always is. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
as we mentioned, obviously this show opens with a tag ta- uh, tag match between the BWO, Nova and Mini versus FBI, Guido and Smothers. Rich does his usual wanting some respect. Nova and Guido start the match and exchange holds. That's right, wrestling holds in an ECW match to start. Guido hits a slam and gets a two. Turns his back on Nova, who drop kicks him and schoolboys him for a two. Nova then hits a really cool choke slam into atomic drop and then hits a spinning heel kick. Then all four in Nova, Bulldogs, Tracy, and leg drops Guido at the same time. Again, really quite wonderful offense. Tags by both, and Meany and Tracy have a dance off. At this point, even the ref gets involved. The FBI are having some miscommunication and accidentally hit each other. And then all of the FBI get slammed by Ref Lanigan. He then goes for a pin as Guido counts. Tracy then splashes him. Nova hits a missile dropkick. Tracy then bumps them both to the outside. Off the top, hitting a somersault plancher. Rich attacks Nova. The FBI hit a atomic drop pump kick combo and a leg sweep super kick combo. Guido goes to the top rope and hits a leg drop for a two. A double elbow leg sweep combination and then double elbow drop for a two. Tracy hits his froze thrusts. Nova then hits the screen machine on Guido, then comes in as Meanie beats down both. Mini misses the moonsault after Rich distracts him. Nova hits Nova Kane and gets the win. Overall thoughts on this opening contest. Eric. It's hard to complain about a match between two comedy teams uh, in a, com- a comedy spot, really, but uh, I kind of felt like this match for, was good for what it was. And I mean, they checked all the boxes for what it was supposed to be. I just thought it was odd that they opened the show with this. I don't know if there were any dark matches before the show. I don't think there were, but th- for this to be the pay-per-view opener, it, it kind of put the show off to a weird tone, in my opinion. There was a dance-off in the middle of this, um, more of just like the BWO stuff, which is really entertaining. But I don't know if that's how I want to set the stage uh, for maybe the first people who are ever looking at ECW. I mean, this is still a growing pay-per-view uh, market. You read the uh, the news at the beginning that this is going to be a pretty well-watched show. A lot of those folks are new to ECW. I don't know if I would have had my first impression of ECW for a lot of fans be the fucking BWO and the FBI and Tommy Rich. Um, but all that said, this was a fun match, comedy match. Check all the boxes, and really it's hard to complain about uh, an opening match. I think um, if fans stuck around for the for the next match, the Just Incredible Mikey Whipwreck match, all of the problems that I had with it would have been uh, erased. Rory? Yeah, the three certainties in life, death, taxes, and the FBI opening an ECW show. This was a pure comedy match. It was never going to be anything else, but I think Eric makes an excellent point, though, that... It was almost too much of a comedy match for what I think ECW really need to be in the summer of 1998. Somebody's tuning into an ECW pay-per-view for the first time. They've heard about these guys, how tough and gritty and reality-based they are. They plonk down their hard end on this pay-per-view and they see a dance-off and they see a heel team selling for a referee. 
Yeah, if you don't know what you're getting beforehand, then you might well raise an eyebrow or two. It was perfectly fine for what it was. I thought the comedy did actually hold throughout the 12, 15 minutes it lasted for. That's the FBI's role. That's Meany and Nova's role. It was never going to be anything else. I do wish it was, because FBI in particular, I do think that um, the little one is being wasted in particular. Smothers is fine, but I think the little guy... He's, kept, he's a great seller. I'd like to think that if the FBI, if they ever do split them up and Tommy Rich goes back to <laughs> goes back to the retirement home, which he's escaped from for the last year and a half, catch him, throw him in a net, whatever you need to do, then I'd like to think they could really do something with Guido. He's, he's better in the ring than you think he is, and he is an excellent seller. And in a place like ECW, that's a good combination, so that's something we need to file. But yeah, perfectly fine for what it was, but they do need to be a li- little careful about ratcheting this up at the beginning of every show. So I thought the point of ECW was that they need to be taken, that they need and want to be taken seriously. A 15-minute comedy match to open a pay-per-view, I'm not sure that quite works. So is, this to both of you, is your problem with this match where it is, not what it is? Yes. If it would have been later in the show. No, I agree, yes. Maybe put this. Uh, maybe put this uh, between uh, RV, put, put this between RVD and Sabu and the, yes, and the after that match. title match. Put it there. Yes, agreed. Because uh, well, Eric, we were on the show about WrestleMania uh, a couple of months ago. We were talking about having a cool down match between the two big main events. We would have stuck the tag team battle royal there. I think this is the same sort of thing. Yeah, okay. this is the Owen, this is the Owen Hart Skinner spot. This was not, you know. So, <laughs> so. we need more WrestleMania eight references on this summer on this show. Well, Chris and I, Chris, I think the other thing that they may, maybe could have done here is if they wanted to have these acts feature in the opener for some reason, Nova and Guido could probably have a hell of a 10-minute match if you just stuck them in there and said go. Um, yeah. So. I suppose, yeah, if you think of it that way, you because you can still have the comedy bullshit with all of them. You know, you can have Guido getting involved you get, or Rich and Smothers getting involved, you know, Meany getting involved. And have the stupid shit outside the ring, but then you've got Nova and Guido to have a good in-ring match. Um, see, I liked it. I, I I sort of like that you get the silly to start with and go, <laughs> look at us, and then you get blown away with good wrestling and hardcore. Um, the thing is, if you look at WCW in particular... Obviously, they like to open with the Cruiserweights. Is putting a workhorse match at the very beginning being a little bit too WC, uh, being a little bit too WCW? Because the Fed don't do it. You don't get you know a big gun classic wrestling match to start. You normally get a tag match to start a, a Fed pay per view. Yeah, well, the Fed doesn't have guys who can go, um, and so I think. Part of it is they just can't do that. Uh, and then they put talk out there to die a death, trying to work heavyweight style. Anyway, that's beside the point. Go listen to the No Way Out show. Um, I th- but I think ECW has better workers than the Fed does. And I think following the WCW model can't hurt because we all like WCW because it has that really solid undercard and it falls apart in the main event. ECW has better main events overall in, uh, than, than uh, WCW. So I think if ECW were maybe even to embrace that more traditional uh, card layout, but do it in that ECW style, I think 
I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that. Show off your guys. Show off what they have. So with with that idea, what would you would you open with? For I would say, how this show goes, which we'll obviously go into in a bit. Would you have opened with Justin Mikey, and and sort of had the wrestling match to open then in an ideal card? I pro- I probably would have to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think I would. That, 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 we'll talk about this in a sec, but for me, both of those are still, for maybe varying, varying different reasons, they're both opening match guys, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Eric? I, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, if you're not going to change any of the matches on this card, and I, really no reason not to, um, I probably would have opened with that, or maybe even opened with RVD and Sabu and kind of bookended the, the card um, with the two kind of quote-unquote main events. But um, either way, not with this. Fair enough. So we are going into which we may have, you know, spilt the beans a bit that this is a good match. Just incredible versus Mikey Whipwreck. So we get a quick start. Mikey firing off with fists and a spear, and they brawl to the outside and into the fans. Mikey tries for a leg sweep off the apron, but Justin blocks it. And then back into the ring, Justin hits some face smashes and a massive chair shot. A corner smash with the knee with a chair and a tiger bomb onto the chair, only getting a two count. Mikey then tries for a whippersnapper, but Jason turns into an inverted DDT. Outside of the ring, Jason gets involved and Mickey manages to superplex Justin from the barricade through a table. This is a spot that has to be seen to be believed. Back into the ring, Mikey hits some swift chair shots, swinging neck break and gets a two. A slingshot into the chair into a roll up for a two. A top rope Franken Mikey for a two. And at this point, Jason comes in again, eats a whippersnapper. Justin gets a whippersnapper. And Chastity takes a super whippersnapper from the top rope. During all of this, Justin manages to hit a cheap shot and hit That's Incredible onto a chair for the win. It has to be said, these two have gelled perfectly together and I want to see more of them. Rory, do you concur? Up to a point, I think a lot more of that is on Mikey than on Credible. Mikey is probably a good opponent for him at this point in time because he can bounce around and throw himself all over the place and make credible look. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Credible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't pay me. <laughs> they, they don't pay me for this. Um, they really should. <laughs> Five dollars a month. Uh, yes. Um, good action for what it needed to be because for whatever reason, they've got high hopes for just incredible. I get the impression they really want to push this guy. It strikes me as the reason they're doing so is because they feel that he was wasted in the World Wrestling Federation when he wore a jockstrap on his head and was a Portuguese man of war. A man of war is, of course, a jellyfish, but never mind. Yeah, match was good. Mikey knows his role these days. He is effectively an opening match guy. His days of winning titles are long gone, even though I think he's a much better worker now than he was in 1995. He can throw himself all over the shop put on big spots, he can take big moves, he can make them look devastating, and he can help get people over. And I have no problem with that at all. It's just, again, watching it through quote-unquote smart eyes, I don't think Justin is there yet. He's 
I feel a whole, a whole lot of his career has been by having friends in high places. He was seen as the <laughs> the clique member who's not in the clique a few years ago, and maybe that sort of taint, if that's the right word, is still with him. He looks very mechanical. His moveset isn't there. His finisher is, let's face it, a tombstone pile drive where he twists in midair for 90 degrees. Yeah, all right. That's somebody else's move, mate. You've stolen that one. Are you really making it your own? Do you look like you're just being a chosen one to some degree? I think you do. But yes, I really like his T-shirt, by the way. It doesn't play well with others. Good character work. <laughs> credit where it's due. But yep, a fine match. I have no problem with Mikey in this role. But I'm still a little wary about the just incredible push. But the match was good. The match was good. That's that's sort of taking me back a bit. I I thought most of us would have liked Justin just because of you know he's broken out. He, you know he, he's got a decent enough move set. He puts on good matches in ECW. And I've just thought nah, he'd... for me for me you can you can see the cogs above his head. Okay, now I'm going to hit a clothesline. It's a clothesline. Now I'm going to take this big move. Takes big move. Now I'm going to hit a low blow. Hit slow blow. Now I'm going to do my finisher. Does his finisher. He doesn't look natural in the ring at all to me. It might come. And this is somebody who spent the last five years laying on his back. So I've got to give him a little bit of credence on that one. But I'm not sold yet. Fair enough. Eric, your opinions on the man himself and this match? Shouldn't it be said that maybe he's over just because we're talking about him? I'm just going to put oh. that out there. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. do, you, do you want to talk about Jeff Jarrett for 10 minutes again? <laughs> Not on here. <laughs> we, we already got an Owen Hart reference in. So anyway, uh, so the pro- okay, this was a really entertaining match. And I, I felt like between two guys, if I didn't know who either of these guys were and I turned the match on and I watched this entertaining match, I would have thought, okay, this one guy's you know smart enough to bring two people uh, to ringside. And apparently this company has no rules to prohibit that so the fact that he beat the guy who isn't dumb enough to bring two people uh, to help him out that's fine that's every just incredible match every single just incredible match some he wins some he loses whatever you just know you're just going to get some bullshit with jason it's never going to be clean and that's one of the problems i have with just incredible character is it's it's apparent to me that ecw wants to make him a shane douglas rvd sabu dreamer level guy just with the amount of fucking videos he gets on hardcore tv um but then he wins every match with two other people coming in and doing all, all the hard work. And then he hits his finisher, which is a tombstone pile driver. Um, and then he wins or loses. Uh, and that's not a way to get somebody over as um, uh, somebody who the fans can take seriously. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Um, <laughs> You're a better man than I. Uh, and so he's winning these matches and he's having good matches, but he's not necessarily, you know, he's not dislikable enough to think, well, shit. I don't like this guy, but he's winning matches, so I at least have to respect him. And he's not heelish enough to really go all out and just be a heel because he wants to be known as like kind of a worker too. And you either have to be Ric Flair where you win with roll-ups and you win competitive matches and you sell for your opponent, or you have to be the fighting heel champion um, who who wins matches cleanly, but you're kind of a dick about it. One or the other, but he he's not either. So this match, I think, falls because we know, and Rory said perfectly, that Mikey is that good hand that every company needs five or six of them to throw him out there, move up and down the card, maybe be feature, maybe be enhancement, and just get out there and, and make yourself, and more importantly, the other person you're in the ring with, 
look good. Problem is, I think that's what Just Incredible might ultimately be too. And so you have two good hands out there, one trying to get over, one kind of already over with the ECW crowd as he is and Mikey. And and it just never clicks. And so good match, but I don't know what the hell they're doing with Credible because he's just not, in my opinion, that top echelon guy. I don't see a path for him to that point. Fair enough. There's me thinking that, you know, he's going to be the prodigal son, the, the second coming for ECW. And he might be. He might, he might figure it out, but he hasn't yet. So... We are now going into the tag team title match for the evening. Seeing dysfunctional tag team of Chris Candido and Lance Storm going against Axel and Balls. We will just say that before this match, Axel and Balls are with Joey saying that they want to kick the tag title champions ass and they want the match now. Was this scheduled to go now? Who knows? But we're having it now. Axel and Chris start an exchange holds. Again, a wrestling match with wrestling holds in ECW. Who would have funked such a thing? A tag to Lance, and we get um, more holds. That is, until Balls comes in. And he brings clubs and a dropkick. Lance then hits a dropkick. Balls and Axel do a Argentine backbreaker body slash combo, which gets a two. And both men hit leg drops for two. Balls with some punches and a dropkick. Axel hits a senton to the outside. Chris tags himself in and hits a beautiful stalling suplex. Axel hits some chops and Chris and Lance hit a double elbow. Axel hits a lariat to Chris on the outside. Back in, top rope Hurricane Rana, but walks straight into Balls' out lariat. Axel with some headbutts to the Balls. And Axel then hits a double DDT on both of them. Balls comes in with big punches and big slams. Out comes Sunny. She slaps Balls. Lance goes to save her as Balls about to uh, drop her. Lance and Chris get into a shoving contest. They finally work together, kicking both Balls and Axel in the balls. Lance hits a plancher to the outside. Balls hits a nutcracker sweep onto Lance. And then Chris hits a springboard dropkick. Goes for a tag, or goes for a pin even. That is until Chris smashes him with the chair and gets the pin for himself. Once again, dysfunctional tag team keeps the gold. Eric, your thoughts on this? Boy, that middle part with Sonny was a real clusterfuck, but the ending sequence was incredible. I mean, Lance Storm is just, he's like a Mortal Kombat character come to life with his moveset out there. He's freaking amazing. I mean, if WCW has Glacier, ECW has the actual like Mortal Kombat guy in wrestling. Dude's fucking incredible. And so is Chris Candido. Uh, it, it, it's not really the case, but Chris Candido is kind of, uh, in my opinion, ECW's answer to Chris Jericho on the stick, that smarmy heel who can get out there and really rile up a crowd. Um, and he's really just kind of that like grating, high-pitched voice, the wah 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 type. And he did that. He does that a lot. And I, there are like some similarities to Chris Jericho. And the fact that Candido is such a good wrestler too. Um, I mean, Axel and Balls are fine hands and they're decent wrestlers. And we've seen both of them have decent one-on-one -on -one 
or, or, or in our singles matches. Um, but they're clearly a brawling tag team and Candido and storm drug them into a match that had a lot of really good wrestling sequences. And so I think in a way this match was, except for that part with sunny better than it, than I was expecting it to be. And I give all the credit in the world to storm and Candido for that. And this crowd, uh, turned on this match and they never got him back. And this was not a good crowd. And this was kind of the first match of the night where you think, Oh, maybe it wasn't a good idea to hold, you know, one of ECW's first pay-per-views in Georgia, you know, right in WCW country where there were Ric Flair chants and woos and chops and a lot of just not that crowd reaction that really fuels the energy in ECW. And so this was the first match of the night where I thought, Ooh, we might have a problem here with this crowd despite the fact that Candido and Storm worked their asses off in this match and in the post-match angle. Rory? If you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia... Yeah, you can tell I watched SummerSlam. <laughs> you can tell I watched, uh, I watched SummerSlam 91 yesterday. Could you tell? Um, yeah, this was fine for a ECW clusterfuck clash of styles. The onus on this one was always going to be on Storm and Candido to make this one vaguely watchable, and they did. They're both extremely good. I picked Candido as my one of my rising star nominations in our awards last year, and I think he's lived up to that. I think he's really got his character down on the mic now. It was this crazy gabbling heel guy. In the ring, he's always been good, and I think he's now even better. Storm is a tremendous worker. I think because he's his mic work is somewhat pedestrian he cuts a lot of promos later in the month which are a bit of a slog to get through but i don't want to override how good he is in the ring he's he's a tremendous out and out wrestler and i really i do think that ecw is the best place for him now he's showing his chops that he can get something watchable out of these two chumps the crowd went into it though see i'm not sure if the crowd we had here were they a work rate crowd were they a kill each other with weapons crowd i think it was a crowd it was a crowd yeah pretty much it it's very much a we we like our wrestling southern style yeah i i I agree up to a point but there were there were some hardcores there i mean we were talking about this off air chris in the second row there was even a junior hat guy is uh (laughs) chilling a prospect as that sounds yeah (laughs) god made two of them It's That's how Vince McMahon makes tag teams. <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing. Obviously, there was definite people there who were there because it was ECW. But yeah. also, with wrestling being the cultural zeitgeist it is right at this minute, how many people went, oh, there's a wrestling show nearby. Let's go and see the wrestling, thinking yeah. that, you know, the last time they went to see the wrestling was 10 years ago, and, you know, Flair and Dusty, and thought that, that was what they were going to get. And, you know, Magnum was going to come out and Tully would be there. And, you know, you might have a dastardly Russian. JYD was there. North Kakalaki, South Kakalaki. <laughs> oh, that takes me back. Other podcasts <laughs> are available. But yeah, this match was fine. Excellent job from Storm and Candido to get something good out of you know, these, these two just weapon slinging nothings. Um, and I hope Storm and, and looks like Storm and Candido are going to be well rewarded for this. They're in a big angle later on in the month. So yeah, did what it had to. Storm and Candido, push these guys as far as you can. They're both really, really good. So as we just mentioned, we then get 
a very strange segment for uh, ECW pay-per-view. Legends of Georgia, which sees Joey introduce the JYD, who's in an EC fucking W shirt, Dirty Dick Slayer, the Mars Superstar, and Bullet Barb Armstrong. All four literally just come down to the ring, smile and wave, smile and wave. Cut the damn music! I have been in this sport for 16 years, and I started when wrestling was still wrestling, and they didn't call it an entertainment, they called it a sport. And I was there when I saw the older generation wrestle with injury after injury. And I've also seen punks in the business today that are on guaranteed contracts, stub a toe and take six months off and still collect a paycheck. In my book, that's a bunch of shit. I was in a place called the World Wrestling Federation. And there was a time when I was supposed to stretch Shawn Michaels, but he had a little bump on his head, and instead the pussy walked out to the ring and handed me a belt. It was at that minute I knew the WWE Intercontinental Belt meant shit in this sport. Right down the road is CNN Center. And they got a guy that wrestles in that company by the name of Dick Flair. And he sucks Bischoff's ass. I've called his old ass out for four years now, and I know he ain't coming. I wish he would, and you can boo me all your wife, because I don't like the old son of a bitch. I have two fractured bones in my elbow, a fractured palate, and a fractured cheekbone. And I plan on coming out here tonight and giving a wrestling match of a lifetime because it may be a last wrestling match in my career. But one thing you all will witness, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids that you watched a great athlete named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time, no matter what happened at Wrestlepalooza.
company's trying to paint you as this big hero, this big fighting champion, because you're wrestling hurt. Well, brother, instead of coming out here and whining and crying, why don't you tell these people the truth? Tell them who busted your arm. Tell them who busted up that pretty face of yours. So the way I see it, I am the uncrowned world heavyweight champion. You think you deserve this belt, Ash? Sit down and shut the fuck up! Brother, in Florida not too long ago, I snapped that skinny arm of yours, and I'm gonna tell you what, there ain't gonna be no main event called Al Snow versus Shane Douglas. You see, brother, just like that kid in the WWE handed over that belt to you, I ain't going anywhere until you hand that belt over to me. See, you see, yeah, you can stick that up your ass, brother. I'll tell you what. I am here to ruin this pay-per-view, and I'm going to ruin you. Now hand it over. Just step your ass out of the way. I got house snow to worry about. Get the fuck out of the way. I'm going to the dressing room. You want it? You want this match tonight, Taz? If you're asking for an ass kicking. What you would have just heard is a tirade from Shane Douglas. He comes out telling us that he's been wrestling for 16 years and when it was a sport, not entertainment. In his day, people carried on with their injuries and people like Dick Flair and HBK are pussies. He may have his last match tonight, but he is the greatest out of there is. At this point, this brings out Taz. Taz tells us that he was the one who did the injuries to him. And he wants to put he wants Shane to hand over the belt. At this point, Shane says no, he's not going to, and he's going to fight Al. So he puts on a modified Taz mission. That is until he's dragged out by security. And Bam Bam comes out. They exchange punches. But Taz is then left out let led out of the arena even. In handcuffs, put into a car, into which he boots the window out of the car. Literally, the window frame is coming away from it and looks as though he's about to take the door off. So First up, why were the legends there? Any idea, Rory? I, I, I suppose it ties in with what we've just said, that they're doing a show in Georgia, which isn't exactly an ECW hotbed, and they feel they need to throw a bone to some of the old-school wrestling fans who've turned up. It reminded me a bit of the parade they had at... Uh, bad blood last year when you had people like The Crusher and Terry Funk and all that coming out. It's something that seemed very, very un-WWF, especially now knowing what, where the WWF are going and you know, history is to be damned. We, we talk about this a lot when ECW bring legends in, when they brought in people like Killer Kowalski a year and a half ago and stuff like that, and even somebody like Tommy Rich in a fairly prominent role. I'm like, 
ECW, are you the future or not? Like, probably the most famous promo anybody has ever cut in your organization was about denouncing the past. A promo Shane Douglas uh, cut four years ago. He might have told you about it. And uh, just, what do you want to be? Do you want to be new and brash or cutting edge? Or do you know, think, oh, yes, the, the past wasn't so bad, really? Choose. Yeah, you can't be both. Eric, any any extra to enlighten us, do you reckon, with this? Or I think there's uh, you can find good reasons to do stuff like this and for ECW's use of the veterans, but I would have rather given a couple of the matches here a little more time or uh, put a couple extra guys out there. I'm never a fan of these segments because it's like I understand, okay, I'm going to go you know, make a cocktail or take a piss, but I, if I'm in the live crowd, I'm that's what I'm doing. And if I'm at home, I'm thinking, well, now's a good time. And so I never understand it. I'd rather just see this five or 10 minutes. And it really was a pretty short amount of time, but long enough to squeeze one of these, uh, squeeze another match in there, give a little more time to some of these other matches, which did feel hurried, especially the main event. Um, and the RVD Sabu going to a time limit draw. Um, uh, so that's the only thing, but that's not just specific to this segment for me. That's anytime any show does a segment like this for me. So, the main promo and talking point this shane promo lads is shane one of if not the best heat magnet for just going look at me i'm so old school yet denouncing the old school all at the same time eric thoughts he's a really good promo uh, he is one of the best promos in the game. He he tends to get a little repetitive sometimes. That's not his fault. I think he's just given too much time like this. It's hard to cut, you know, cut distinct and unique 10-minute long promos that aren't going to come across as repetitive or come across as hitting the same points. So when he's given the time, he always fills it well. I do always have to chuckle that one of the dynamic dudes is telling me about old-school wrestling. Uh, <laughs> That's, again, not his fault, though. He was earning a paycheck. He clearly has moved on from that, you know, was that Bill Watts gimmick or something like that? Um, and and so, yeah, I think he holds a promo. He, he holds toe-to-toe with, on the promo, uh, in the promo game with anybody else in wrestling right now. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're able to kind of forgive his relatively boring and pedestrian in-ring style is because he is such a good promo. He comes across as a top guy even if his ring work doesn't necessarily reflect that and with obviously the the part of this where taz comes out and uh fucks him up and then gets dragged down in cups how do i feel this makes taz look like an absolute monster and the killer that his his persona as a shoot fighter should be um it's definitely sort of the way forward for him um what do you reckon rory okay yeah dynamic dude so they were 89 i believe and wasn't a certain r flair uh, esquire the wcw booker at the time maybe that's the reason for shane douglas's ire uh i do like douglas as a promo although he is kind of the ramones of promos he's only really got one (laughs) <laughs> but it's a ve- but it's a very good one, so you kind of let it go. Uh, yeah, Taz. A bit later on in the month, he does something which I really don't like, which we'll get to. But th- this is what I want to see. 
making the world title seem important. He is so hell-bent on getting it. No, you can't even arrest him without him trying to kick through the windows of a car. I love this sort of stuff. Give me more of this. Make the title important. And I believe that Taz is the sort of person, as a pure out-and-out wrestler, he's the sort of person who wants it. So, yes, sir, this was great. So, Eric, uh, what's your opinions on how Taz left the uh, arena this evening? Taz is a killer. I... I think Rory hit it on the head when he said, look, you know, this is a way ECW has never really, in my uh, estimation, put enough emphasis on the value of their world title. They've had guys hold it and sometimes it made events and sometimes it doesn't, but it's never really felt like a big deal. Um, and this is the first time that I can remember where there's a storyline that's driven by the fact that somebody Taz wants the prestige of the ECW championship and the fact that he feels like he's being slighted by not being given that title and not given that opportunity to win that title. So I think, and Taz is probably the best guy to do it with Taz and Shane Douglas. I mean, I think they're going to have a great match uh, when it comes around. And so, and it'll feel like a big fight and that's important um, because there's only about five or six guys in ECW that can give you that big fight feel. Um, and these are, two of the best foils for one another. So I think it's fantastic and making Taz look like an absolute insane lunatic killer, but ones that one that the fans can get behind because he's kind of that Steve Austin type real, you know, real guy. He's going to shoot with you, brother, that kind of thing. Like I think ECW has got a, uh, you know, a golden goose in Taz if they play it well and, and play things to his strengths. The next year could be really, really good for Taz and for ECW. I suppose the thing that Taz has over an Austin, for argument's sake, is not just his his mic work, but because the style that he wrestles is very much you know shoot fighting. We, we've obviously seen the rise of UFC in the past few years. You know, we know that there is this legitimate fighting thing where people sort of take each other out, joke each other out, smack each other around the head, and, you know, throw people. And Taz looks like he could be and should be in, in there more than a wrestling ring. Uh, do you think that helps with the overall character and makes him even more of a badass? Rory? Yeah, I think so. Because when you think about it, Taz, he's not really... A face, just to switch over to WWF briefly. As much as a badass Austin is, and he's a renegade, and he plays the beat of his own drum, he's still a sympathetic face. As bizarre as that sounds, Taz is not. He he just does not care. As I use that word again. He is utterly hell bent. He's not doing this to screw authority or even play to his own rules necessarily. He just wants the world title. And if you don't like it, for whatever reason, then tough. And I think that's great. And again, it works for him because his character, ever since he ditched for Tasmaniac nonsense, is a wrestler. It's great to see. That is true. So this has led into a match between Bam Bam Bigelow and New Jack. We hear the dulcet tones of natural-born killers as New Jack brings down a big old bin of weapons. 
Bam Bam takes advantage. That is until he misses a guitar shot. New Jack grabs a sign, the usual weapon of choice, and beats down Bam Bam. The weirdest moment in this weapons brawl was where he picked up a toy Godzilla, put it over Bam Bam's nuts, and hit it with a hockey stick. Only an ECW. <laughs> they go to the outside and they brawl. Bam Bam hits some chair shots and busts New Jack open. They brawl into the crowd, Bam Bam hitting loads of really hard plastic chair shots at him. At this point, I'm not sure whether it was the initial chair shot that busted him open or the corresponding battering and lobbing of chairs, but New Jack is fucked. So much so that he's getting helped up to the balcony by security and fans. A fan then hands him a non-gimmicked guitar, which he dives off the edge of the balcony, hitting the guitar with onto Bam Bam. This causes Bam Bam to be busted open. They manage to wander their way back into the ring. Bam Bam hits Greetings Raspberry Park and gets the win. We have our brawl for the evening, as we would always love to see in ECW. And I want to know who's the one that's telling New Jack it's a sensible thing to dive off stuff when he can barely walk. Eric, what's your opinions on this in, in the legal ramifications? <laughs> we'll get there. Don't get me started. But, um, so the worst thing about ECW is exemplified by this match, wherein two guys apparently legitimately beat the shit out of each other for 10 minutes with real weapons, gimmicked or not, and jump off of second floor balconies onto each other. And then the thing that wins the match is Bam Bam Bigelow's fucking horrendous modified tombstone pile driver, where it's obvious the guy's head's about six inches off the ground every time he does it. Come on, man. Like, that can't be the finish of this match. This match was brutal. Um, it, yeah, just if you're into stuff like this, Go watch this match. If you're not into stuff like this, skip this match. It had a lot of blood, a lot of very uh, gratuitous uh, violence. Uh, the stuff that um, maybe the other side of the spectrum of what new fans would have found maybe distasteful about ECW. But as a as somebody who um, enjoys watching Bam Bam and under, kind of understands the purpose of New Jack and these matches. It was enjoyable for what it was, but holy God, these guys need to chill out with some of this stuff or somebody's going to fucking die. Eric, uh, Rory? I concur with pretty much all of that. Again, it's coming into ECW shows with your expectations being met, I guess. You know you're going to get at least one match on the show in which this happens, where it's purely gratuitous and egregious and other bad words that ends in us. Okay, you might not expect a toy Godzilla shot to the bollocks or a, a cam uh, camera. <laughs> That'll be coming, I'm sure. Or a guitar strike from the first floor of the balcony. Okay, <laughs> they might be uh, slightly novel for you, but otherwise, this is what you're going to have. And it just fell to Bam Bam Bigelow and New Jack, shock, for them to deliver it. And you either like this stuff or you don't. This is the kind of thing where star ratings are completely superfluous. 
if I was compiling my own weekly newsletter, this would have a big NR not rated next to it because you're just wasting your time. And indeed, to bring in our second WrestleMania 8 reference for the day, I didn't think we'd be making any. You know, Bam Bam's finisher's got to go. It looks far too much like Undertaker's tombstone to Jake at said event, where Jake's head was barely even at waist level. That's got to go. Just bring back a big splash or something. But yes, you cannot break down and analyze this in any way, shape or form. It's just people trying to effectively kill each other with weapons. Your average wrestling fan who mainly just sticks to the big two, maybe reads uh, the Aptomags. This is the kind of thing they would expect ECW to be, even if they haven't really seen it. And it must be said, they wouldn't be far wrong. And this is the kind of thing I mean when I was talking about where ECW are at the beginning of our, our review of this pay-per-view. Do they just want to be this or do they want to be something else? I'm not sure of the answer. See, the, the issue is you, you, you've got to the point now where you expect this, um, be it, you know, for the back end last year, it was Dudley's, New Jack, Cronus, Eliminators, Gangsters, you know, you knew what you were going to get. You knew that was your walking brawl for the evening. And as you say, it, it is like complete Marmite. Either you like it for what it is or you hate it. I don't think you can have ECW without it. You know, we've we've said that ECW is is three things all the time. It's brutal hardcore, really good technical wrestling, and the place for people to make themselves and you know become the stars that they are going to be. You know, we've seen it. We you pretty much have to have all these things. And that means, you know, living with the brutality. I've, I don't think you can get rid of it. Um, anything you want to add onto that, either of you two? Yeah, yeah, Chris, I, I do agree with you when you say this is what you expect from ECW. I totally get that. What I'm saying now is, you now we've lived with ECW on these shows for five years. Should this kind of quote-unquote style... Should that still be ECW's selling point now? It probably was when they ditched the Eastern late 94 and all they gave us in 95. And you said there's three, you know, there's three real strands to ECW. I still think your average Joe will say this is the main one. And I've got to be honest, I'm still, in all fairness, I'm still not sure if that's necessarily a good or bad thing or not. That's, that's my key question about ECW in general these days. Is this still all they really are? In the eyes of fans, I'm talking about here. Mm -hmm. Eric? Oh, I don't know. I think you can have something like this, but just not have it go as far as this did. ECW, Chrissy mentioned, they've kind of painted themselves into a bit of a corner here where you can't just keep this type of violence and this type of insane stuff at a single level you fans expect more and more and more so maybe what ecw has to do is creatively reset its fans expectations so that you don't have to get something that comes really anywhere close to this but you can still have the hardcore style i mean they're not the only company in the country that does hardcore wrestling by far but i think 
you're, you're only going to get to a certain point. And I've talked about this on the show a lot when it comes to the violence against women, of which there's plenty out on this show as well. Um, ECW is only ever going to be a distant third if it wants to keep this part of its identity to the extent that it, that, that this match went. So yes. if that, if that makes any sense and it probably doesn't, um, that's my opinion. See, it, it does go back to what we've said pretty much all the way through us covering ECW to the, the extent that we have been for the past few years is when you've done something once, you've always got to then top it. You know, New Jack diving off balconies is what we see at every big show. You know, it, it went from tables to flaming tables you know it goes from even to the as you said the, the violence to women's side of you know them getting accidentally hit with something to tommy hitting pile drivers to chair shots you know it just it's always a one-upping you know as rory sort of said there can could you sort of do it as a, a reset and start again I think we're at the point of trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. I, I don't know if or how you can reset the expectations of what is norm in ECW. But, you know, any sort of final thoughts before we go on to more violence? <laughs> no, a much better match is next. And <laughs> not a Godzilla insight. That is true. So we are greeted by the dulcet tones of Joel Gertner, who was in fine form as he was about to introduce the Dudley Boys, Bob Ray and Devon, for their match. That is until we hear the wonderful riff of Enter Sandman. So much so that we hear all of Enter Sandman as Sandman and Tommy take an absolute age to get into the ring as they drink beer, spill beer down Beulah, and do the usual. When they finally do get into the ring, they spit, fit, spit beer into the faces of the Dudleys and hit a big clothesline to Big Dick. That is until the Dudleys take advantage. We get a brawl to the outside, as Tommy and Sandman end up with the advantage. Sandman suplexes a table onto Bubba. The Dudleys are then hung over the railings as Tommy holds a chair to the face as Sandman leg drops the pair of them. Back into the ring, Tommy hits a top rope neck breaker onto Devon. Sandman brings in the railings. They hit their modified version of Rolling Thunder. We then see Sandman launching into the railings. The Dudleys double-team Tommy and Sandman is taken out on a stretcher. Devon hits a lovely spinning back elbow and Bubba goes up top as Tommy manages to get a superplex. Bubba then takes advantage of a high angle backslam and sign guy Dudley throws some powder but accidentally hits Devon which means Tommy can get a quick roll up for a two. We then see an inverted 3D. The railings are back into the ring as Devon crotches it and then a double chair shot. Spike comes out of nowhere hitting drop kicks. 
and hits a acid drop onto the railings on Spike or on Devon even, and then a plancher, but he's caught by Big Dick, who turns into a choke bomb. Devon's put into the tree of woe as Spike runs over Bubba and Tommy hits a drop kick. Big Dick then hits Spike with a torture rock rack bomb. Sign Guy then gets in, but only to be kicked in the nuts by Beulah. And Beulah hits a free a DDT. There's a big 3D onto Spike, but this brings out the Sandman, who literally canes anyone that moves. A double DDT, and Sandman and Tommy get the win. As mentioned, weapons brawl, as we'd expect, and it's Sandman and Tommy, so pretty much what you expect. What were your thoughts, Eric? I think ECW can do stuff like this and not do stuff like the last match, and it would be everybody would be fine with it. This match was entertaining as hell. It was very violent. It had a lot of, as most Dudley Boys matches do, uh, a lot of unprotected chair shots, a lot of uh, nut-based uh, violence, um, uh, a lot of hilarious selling by Bubba uh, with his stumbling around like a drunken sailor. It's kind of his version of the flare flop. Um, and just the shenanigans that you can have with all the Dudleys around the ring and then Spike coming out and Beulah getting involved. This was a really fun match. I mean, you read it and it sounds like, oh, another ECW clusterfuck. But it, these, these, I guess, I, 10 people and the four main guys in this match are all pretty seasoned at this point. And they know how this is supposed to go. And so pretty much any time you get these four guys in a match, uh, you're going to be guaranteed something that's very entertaining extremely violent. It's probably going to have a lot of outside bullshit, but that works in ECW. And in this match, it all worked out and you got the crowd pleasing spot of the Sandman wearing a neck brace coming out and saving the day. This was just fun stuff. So as we were sort of mentioning with uh, with the match before, obviously we have to have hardcore because it's ECW. As a, as a general rule of thumb, would, would you be happier to see, this level and not the ultra violence of, of what we had before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and that's what I was trying to say. It's like, look, you know, nobody in this match bled like new Jack bled in the last match. Nobody in this match appeared to be legitimately seriously injured as new Jack was in that last match. I mean, these guys beat, beat the piss out of each other. Don't get me wrong. And there was still the same old problems of, you know, violence against women and that kind of thing. But again, in ECW, that's all just part of kind of like the storyline canon. It's almost the ECW universe. And so they get, like it or not, a pass for stuff like this. And But at a certain point, like you, you say, well, that's, you know, there's violence, there's this, there's that, there's other thing. This match was, I think, right within um, that zone where it's like, holy shit, the main two companies aren't doing anything close to this. But it's not like, oh my God, is he you know, is that guy really has to go to the hospital now like New Jack probably did. So, yeah, I think this match kind of exemplifies what ECW can continue to do in, in one of its core philosophies, uh, but not do stuff that's really uh, over the line. Okay. Rory? Yeah, it was demented. It was crazy. It never crossed the line into depraved like the previous match. I didn't feel like I stumbled across some sort of snuff movie channel or something like that, as I might have done during some of the previous match. 
this is where you really buy into ECW. And this is where you take it all, including, I'm very sad to say, the violence against women. I wish they would really do something about that. But you almost, I hate to say this, accept it these days. Not saying it's right. Of course, it's completely wrong. But it's almost part of the package, as are multiple run-ins and people using guardrails as weapons as if they're open hand punches these are the things you roll with as an ECW fan and this was a really good example of it just four guys who are well schooled if that's the right word in this sort of thing just beating the hell out of each other they did this all three or so years ago they could be doing it bodies permitting three or so years from now if they wanted to and it is fun the kind of fun you watch through your fingers maybe but it is still fun it just about holds the line and doesn't cross over into something which is really quite sick and something you really don't want to be watching at all you'd rather have a blindfold on i should really give them ideas it's um great fun i still do like the idea of um sandman and dreamer teaming up as a team yeah you blinded him four years ago but we're all mates now let's drink beer together let's bygones be bygones you know uh, just great fun maybe fun in inverted commas but as long as nobody gets seriously hurt keep this thing up but please let's drop the violence against women thing now yeah we get the point we don't need that hammered over our heads that's not cool and edgy but otherwise let's keep rolling with this as long as there's a doctor in the house wonderful so we now have uh, world television title match featuring RVD, managed by Bill Alfonso, versus Sabu, managed by Bill Alfonso. Fonzie comes out to tell us that he's managing both guys. We have referee Jeff Jones as the ref who says that he's going to call it down the middle, as is Fonzie. They start with uh, basically blocking and reversing each other's moves because these two know each other so well. RVD then gets grabs a mic and says, do you really think they were going to have a match against each other? They had devised a plan. They then push the ref. RVD drops down, saying that he was going to go for the pin. And Sabu hits quick air Sabu. Sabu then kicks him in the face. We get a springboard sidekick and a flipping leg drop. That gets a two count. And then a sent onto the outside. Back into the ring, Sabu puts on a camel clutch as they both then reverse back drops and go for, go for leg drops to the knee. RVD manages to hit his. RVD hits a corkscrew leg drop and gets a two. Puts on a surfboard hits some stomps and a guillotine leg drop and puts on a single leg crab. Hits a super kick, then grabs a table and bridges it between the ring and the railings. At this point, Sabu hits a few punches and goes for a diving splash and puts RVD onto the table. He then goes for a triple jump splash into the crowd. RVD manages to crotch Sabu with the railings. He then asks Fonzie to hold the chair so he can do the jumping sidekick to the chair, but Fonzie keeps moving away. He still does the leaping sidekick. 
suplex onto the railings, and then a leg drop. Sabu then crotches RBD on the railings and hits an acetine moonsault. Back into the ring, Sabu gets a pin and gets a two count. And then he lobs a chair, but misses a triple jump moonsault. RVD pins him after the mistake, but only gets two. RVD hits a springboard sidekick, a flipping senton onto the outside. RVD then tries to suplex, but Sabu manages to block it. And then hits a triangle moonsault. They then bridge a table, and he lobs another chair. RVD is on the table as Sabu hits a triple jump DDT onto the table. I say onto the table and not through it as the table doesn't break. RVD with some leg kicks. Sabu again lobbing a chair this time as RVD is on the top rope. He hits a top rope hurricane runner through a table. RVD manages to get himself out of that and hits a bottom rope slingshot. A leg drop and on top of a chair, and then goes into for another Hurricane Runner. And our, uh, Van Daminator gets a two. A Frog Splash gets a two. Sabu hits a triple jump leg drop for a two. RVD hits a rolling chair monkey flip, but RVD misses the follow-up sidekick, where Sabu hits a low kick of his own and an Arabian face buster for two. RVD hits a sidekick and a leg drop and brings in a table. He hits a sidekick, a chair shot, and the big frog splash through a table for a two, which the frog splash he gets some massive height on. He then hits the underhook slam for a two. Sabu hits a springboard knee into a leg drop and a German suplex for a two. RVD hits a split leg moonsault, gets a two. Sabu, Arabian face buster for a two. And at this point, we have the bell, which indicates we have run out of time. The crowd are chanting five more minutes. But at this point, Fonzie is quite happy that the two have got a draw and raises both of their hands as they tug of war over the bell. Boys, I'm going to let you two digest that while I have a drink after all that reviewing. We'll go with you first, Eric Rory. Well, well played. Well played, Mr. Uh, Mr. Lacey. Uh, have yourself a gallon or two of a drink. <laughs> a drink of your choice after that one. Okay. Right. I think I might be splitting opinion here, but we'll see. Regardless of whatever form of wrestling you're actually into, or indeed whether you're a fan of these two guys or not, there is one thing that a match between Rob Van Dam and Sabu should not be. And that's boring. And this one's going to cost me, but it kind of was. I lost interest during times during this one, and that should just not be happening. This was, was a it, pure... Yeah, yeah, go, was on. It, go was ahead. It because of the fact it was... About 20 minutes in, I got the idea this was going to go to either a draw or some sort of shenanigans when they yes. were literally all hitting big move pin two, next person big move pin two. What, 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 you've got a bit more. Where are you drinking at the moment? And maybe don't answer that. <laughs> um, okay, I'll, 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 I'll pick back up. Yes, that's absolutely part of it. I, I will get to that. 
because this was just a pure, unadulterated spot fest. Now, these guys, as much fun as they are to watch in the ring at the best of times, they need somebody in there to get a wrestling match out of them. Put a spot fest guy against a spot fest guy, it's pretty obvious what you're going to get. And this was big move. Wow. Wait a minute. Set it up. Another big move. Wow. Wait a minute. Set it up. A rinse and repeat for the whole 30 minutes. And I, the interest just seeped out of me. These two under duress can put together something quite good. I gave these two a lot of credit two years ago when they had that match in the ECW arena. They had all the technical problems. The match went up after midnight. And after a minute, the rope broke and they did their absolute best. And I still give them a lot of credit for that. Like I say, here, they had 30 minutes to play with and they just weren't capable of doing it. I think part of the reason, I'm going to cut them a bit of slack. I think part of the reason is that a match of one-upmanship between these two as a tag team, I feel like we that should have taken place a long time ago in the story. For it is a two-year feud. This sort of match should have occurred a long time ago. I think we're ahead of that now, especially as where the story almost ends a couple of weeks later. And the whole time limit draw thing, it's almost, an, again, it's almost an ECW staple. I'm kind of done with it. I don't think people like watching draws these days. And if you're plonking down your hard-earned money, especially if you're not mega au fait with the product, you want to see a winner, don't you? And yes, I get a draw does play into the story they're trying to tell, but I'm really stretching there. So yes, again, the spots were impressive, but you know, I shouldn't even really be saying that as a positive these days. With these guys, the spots should be impressive. That's what we watch them for. I really need to see more from these guys now, especially RVD. Sabu is Sabu. He, he, he's reached his level. And as long as he's still active and can still breathe, this is what he's going to be doing. RVD does have a lot upside to him. I think his work on the mic is better than he's given credit for. He could be a really compelling character one day, but he needs to be in there with the right people to really bring him on and really take him into that top echelon. Sabu is not that guy. So yes, 30 minutes of great spots, but uh, I want more than that. I want more than that. Fair enough. Um, Eric? Well, I actually kind of agree with Rory. I, I put in my notes that this match was paced like American football. And I don't know whether you guys watch American football, but how it works is um, you get the ball and a clock counts down for 40 seconds and the team then huddles and then they line up and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens for like six, seven, eight seconds and then it starts over and then there's another 40 seconds until the fun part starts. <laughs> and, I, always thought, I always thought that's what it was, Eric. So uh, thanks for clarifying that for me. I don't right. feel so bad now. <laughs> and, so, and, and this match was really a lot like that. It was, as Rory said, Big move, rest, set up spot. Fonzie gets into position. Big move, rest, set up spot. Fonzie gets into position. For the middle, probably 20 minutes of this match, after that weird early match angle with RVD on the mic, and, until the end where they really kind of did get, get it kicking into gear. But the middle 20, 25 minutes of this match was really uh, a, a spot fest. It almost felt called on the fly. I don't know. Maybe it looked like at times Sabu maybe has a legitimate knee injury or that he probably always has some degree of a legitimate injury. Um, and it looked like maybe that was slowing it down or maybe they had to change what they wanted to do. Or maybe they didn't realize when they initially laid out their match that this thing was going to have to go 30 minutes Broadway. That's tough. That's tough to do, especially for two young guys and for our younger guys and for a guy like Sabu, who's really not 
he's a good worker, but he's not the, that in-ring general where he can really use the psychology of, of wrestling to string together a 30-minute match. Um, and RVD, like you said, Rory, he's really, really good, but he's not there yet. He hasn't put all the pieces together. And so you kind of put two guys in here, told him to go 30 minutes. Neither guy's really equipped to, to lead a match uh, to success like that. So as every RVD and Sabu match individually or against each other has, this match had a lot of really great spots. It had some holy shit moments. RVD, that frog splash uh, is insane. I mean, the fact that he hit it twice, I think, and only got a two count both times, that's, again, you know, ECW being ECW, whatever. Um, it's two cold Scorpios, top rope stuff, too. Um, but the, the, this match needed to be a little bit different because they lost the crowd, and this is the other match of the night where I felt like the crowd really killed it. There were uh, some times in this where... Uh, they were doing the you fucked up chance or something similar, but it wasn't in that, you know, uh, kind of half serious, half joking ECW arena way. The, the, they messed up a couple spots here and lost the crowd. And then the finish with that time limit draw out of nowhere. And this is the crowd again, that we think is probably more conditioned for a time limit draw when you have the countdown gimmick and the five minutes remaining and that kind of thing. And for the bell, they just come out of nowhere. I think that's more realistic. And I like that they did it, but maybe not in front of this crowd because this crowd wasn't really all into that match in the first place by the time that, you know, countdown gimmick did or didn't happen. So I think there was just a lot of pieces that were, you know, misplaced in this match for this crowd, for these guys at this time. So good match if you like the spot fest style, but it was quite boring at times. See, I am the opposite to both of you. I really, really enjoyed this. Um, I will agree with you know it is a little bit of a setup spot do spot but that's pretty much every sabu match sabu never has a match that sort of organically flows from one bit into the next bit because he has to do the setup for each bit he has to set up the table to do a triple jump table splash he has to set up the chair the chair to do a triple jump you know there's there's that sort of level of, of chaos that you get with when he just lobs a table or a chair at someone. But also there's always that bit of planning where he will do a run-up, oh no, the chair's in the wrong place, set it up again, and then do it again. That is every Sabu match. So I don't think you can criticise that on on these two for this match in particular because just watch any Sabu match, you see that. Um I think the one thing that I will say does hurt this match a little bit is you do see all the big hits only getting twos. But as we've said many a times, the big hits in ECW don't mean shit. Look at Too Cold. I, as I said, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, this definitely sort of what I wanted from these two. You know, I, I wanted to see this thing. And I, for one, was happy with it. So, uh, either of you two want to add anything else on that? Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right in, in your summation that this was probably the, the type of match that these two needed to put on to fill the 30 minutes. Um, I just kind of think maybe it was a mistake making them go that long because there were times where it seemed like they were taking a little bit extra time between those spots. But I, I, I agree with you. This was a good match. It just wasn't necessarily... Um, one that I felt needed to go 30 minutes. Yeah, make this, make this 20. I'd be a little more receptive to it. 
Fair enough. So, before the main event of the evening, we do get a Shane promo where he claims people have said that he deserves what happens to him. He says, Al won't win because he's the franchise. And to get the belt, you'll have to kill him. We then get Al cutting a promo saying that it's been 16 years to get to this point. Everything's been against him. He's never got a break. And it has all led to tonight. And that is now where we have our world heavyweight title match between Shane Douglas and Al Snow. Shane gets in the ring and straight away removes the heavy brace off his injured arm. And we start with a chop battle. <laughs> gets an armbar and then onto that injured arm. They exchange blows. Al manages to go up top, but Francine knocks him off. They brawl to the outside where Al is atomic dropped onto the railings and then whipped into the ring post. We get a few near falls until Al gets a drop kick. Back in, Shane hits a clothesline, a chin lock, and they exchange some punches. Shane power bombs Al through a pair of chairs, which only gets a two count. Al then counters a backdrop into a DDT, hits a couple of lariats, but goes for the snowplow. That is until Chris Candido comes out to make the save. Shane hits the belly to belly, but only gets a two. Al then decides that he's going to take out the invasion of Candido and Bam Bam by hitting an SIE moonsault. At this point, we see that all the other wrestlers in the roster are hanging around outside the entrance arena. They then make their way around the ring. Al manages to go up top and hits a crossbody, but Shane rolls through to get the two. Al hits a snowplow and gets a two. Francine comes in. She eats a snowplow too. Chris then gets hit with head. They then go for a top rep sunset flip, but Shane reverses it and gets the win. To end the show, both men are lifted by the full roster who are in the ring at the time, and they shake hands. So, we know that Shane was pretty much the walking wounded and shouldn't have been anywhere near this match. But he still managed to put on something half decent and you know watchable. Rory, <laughs> chop battle again. I repeat, other podcasts are available. Okay, the good stuff about this one first. ECW listening to the fans. Al Snow's been getting really over last few months or so, and he's been getting main event style pops. So, pay per view comes round, put him in the main event. He doesn't need to win, but it gives the fans what they want. Makes sense to me. Well played, Heyman and co. Okay, the match. Douglas was banged up, as he was all too keen to remind us that many, on many occasions this month. I'm not sure the match would have been much better even if it wasn't, because as we always say on these shows, he's a just about above average worker at best, if you're being generous. He's... He's okay. He knows how to carry himself. He can get through a match and start to finish with the right person. He's not somebody who, who out and out needs to be carried, but he is not a match leader himself. He's got to be in there with the right guy. And I do think Snow probably is that person. I've got to mention this. I thought the two of them 
made a rather horrendous botch here when Douglas sets up the chairs for what was going to be the, the big uh, the big bomb through the chairs. But before that, he set up with an atomic drop, and Al just sort of stumbled and flopped into the chairs and brought them down, and Douglas had to pick them back up again. That was ugly, and they should have come up with something else. They both should have had the smarts to just think, you know what, let's not make it look so obvious. Yeah, match bumbled along fine. Uh, as Eric said at the start, of the, at the top of the show, Whilst people were pleased to see Snow in the main event, and quite rightly so, he was never, ever going to win this match. And I do think that took something away from it. I really liked the Asai moonsault spot from Snow. I did not see that coming until he hit it. That came out of nowhere and looked really organic. So fair play to him. You cannot say that Snow, barring the botch, didn't try to really make his claim in this one and hope that the Fed, who he is still on loan from, let's not forget, were watching closely. And I think they deserve to be. They messed up the finish slightly. As sunset flips go, it was about uh, 0.7 on the Pillman Goldust SummerSlam 97 scale. <laughs> but they just about got there. Douglas won. They have the big celebration at the end that seemed a little weird. That almost seemed like a sop to Douglas. I mean, he is still he is still a heel in canon, right? Yeah. Although they cut. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying, Oak. They well, they did the thing with Taz a bit later on in the month. They've kind of been sort of tweedering him a bit, but I, I, I'll go with it. Say he's still a heel, and he he gets the big shoulder celebration with all the roster and him and Snow, who is let's face it, is a mid carder. Rightly upgraded to the main event, but still a mid carder, shaking hands on everybody's shoulders. No, I don't know. But yeah, serviceable mid two stars main event. Snow gets to shine. Everybody has to think Douglas is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I will take it as a close to a pay per view, but I'm just. I'll, I will never be there on Douglas. Maybe that's my fault, but it does cloud my enjoyment of his matches because they're trying to make him the golden boy. I've been trying to do it for four years. It's one of those things, if you buy it, you buy it. If you're me, you don't. That is very, very true. Um, one thing, obviously, I will say that I had a bit of an issue with was obviously the end with the fact that Shane kept the belt. Um, but obviously going into what we then found out in TV later in the month, it makes more sense and works really well. Um, obviously, I will sort of bring up on that is Al being a mid-card guy given the push that he need, that he deserves which will, from what the crowd have wanted. Do you think, obviously, as you say, that he is still on loan from the Fed? Do you think that he could, he could take this and, and do where he is now in the Fed? Or is this one of those of, it'll work here, but if he ever goes back, it's back to leave Cassidy? Oh God! Sorry, back to Avatar. Let's let's do that and have done with it. Um, it's a very niche gimmick. Again, you probably need to be a hardcore ECW fan to really get it. Now, he's think about it. Explain this to a non-fan or your average, you no, know, Austin lover, Austin three sixteen, or DX t-shirt wearer. This is a guy who talks to a mannequin head, gets advice from it, gets you know relationship tips from it or what have you with the words help me written backwards in ink on his forehead you're not going to ensnare new fans by telling them about that again as i said so often on the show today you buy into it or you don't 
if he does get a call up again in WWF, and I do hope he does, his work over the last few months does warrant it, they're going to have to tweak it, regardless of everybody now having new, brand new, really colourful characters and in the Federation and being more reality-based and all that. This one might take some explaining. But he's earned it. He's worked really hard last few months. He really has. He deserves a lot of credit. Eric, thoughts on the uh, main event of the evening? Yeah, and I'll just, my thoughts on Snow too, I'll just capitalize on what Rory just said too and then swing back around. So yeah, Al, Al's a really good hand. Uh, and I think he's a really good hand on like the top level of, of being a good hand. But I don't see Al ever really, you know, even being that guy that can really hold down the mid card and like a WWF Intercontinental or a WCW television or US title uh, uh, level. I think he can be a really good underneath guy uh, and a guy that maybe can float in and out of tag teams here and there or really put on good matches to really work work with guys to get other guys over. I don't think it matters what gimmick Al is in. I just don't see him as as a feature guy, but he's one of the best workers um, going right now, and there's a lot to be said for that. And there's a lot of paychecks to be had for somebody who's willing to embrace that um, and, and do what they can. But anyway, yes, I thought for uh, a guy um, being as legitimately injured as Shane Douglas apparently is, um, that this was a pretty decent match and it had the same old ECW style booking with tons of interference. And that was probably a lot of it was meant to mask Shane's limitations uh, more so than what they normally are. Um, Shane's a good enough worker, um, but yeah, you could definitely tell this match was kind of booked around him. And so, you know, you'll forgive, or at least I will, I'll forgive any botches or issues uh, for that because I'd like to believe that with two you know, normally healthy guys uh, to the extent that these guys are ever truly healthy, uh, that this match wouldn't have uh, been different. And that said, I was kind of hoping when I, between remembering Shane was injured, that these guys might be able to have like a good, just solid 10 minute wrestling match. Just keep it in the ring or near the ring. Let snow lead a match that she sees Shane Douglas go over. If they want to treat him like a gladiator and they call him a gladiator, later on television in the month. And he has this, you know, WrestleMania 10 style send off like Brett did. Um, they both do you, you're treating Shane like, like he's the conquering hero. Um, and he's supposed to be a heel. I thought, or you made a really good point. I don't know what Shane is because they're, they're booking him in two different ways. So, um, if you want to put over Shane as this gladiator, as his fighting champion, um, have him have a nice competitive 10 minute, match with snow if he's healthy enough to do it keep it in the ring and go over clean or go over relatively clean instead of all this shenanigans stuff but yeah it's ecw this match was fine it was a typical shane match um you really couldn't even tell he was injured if you weren't watching it too closely if it didn't tell you the entire time uh because it was that standard average above average shane match with a guy like al snow who um probably did a lot to make this match seem like there was no issues between the guys physically so Overall thoughts and ratings for the show. We will go with Rory first. Coming into this, pretty much knowing what I was going to get. If, if you're a, a member of the team on this podcast, you know your ECW by and large. You're prepared for destruction and near death and explosions and women being DDT'd and people talking to foam heads and <laughs> fans chanting, where's my pizza? 
if you're an ECW hardcore fan in that respect, and you plonk down your money for this show, and you are happy with the fact that they seem to be, a, if this is the right expression, holding pattern at the moment, then I don't think you can be disappointed. But with my critical eye, because that's why we're here really, I don't think they can carry on doing this forever. There are a lot of hints, especially when you look at some of the people they've got on their roster, people like Snow, people like Storm, even RVD, that they could start taking things in a different direction while still maintaining the ECW ethos if they wanted to. You know, Dream is always going to be around. Sandman's always going to be around. The link to the past is always going to be there, and so it should be. But they need to be wary of just being as bizarre as it sounds. They've only really been in traction for the last three or four years. A nostalgia act, a traveling hardcore show. I just worry if they're almost happy with that now. Yeah, they're content to pick up their 45,000, 50,000 pay-per-view buys every three months. Same people coming to the ECW arena. They'll do a few national tours. The misfits will turn up every time. They'll always be there. We're always going to get Hat Guy and Lenny and Vladimir and all of that. And we'll do that until the end of time. Or do they want to be something different? And I think this pay-per-view pretty much showed all of that in two hours, 40 minutes. So in its own right, for an ECW show in 1998, I'm going to give it a six with a mild recommendation. If you are a fan, I think you'll really enjoy it. But if you're somebody who thinks that now is the time for ECW to start mixing things up a bit, you might come away a little cold. So a mild recommendation, perhaps a slightly generous six out of ten. Eric? And this show had several good matches, uh, but it did drag at times. It had some illogical booking. Um, and at times, this Georgia crowd wanted nothing of it. Um, this was a I guess a good show, but was it maybe the worst ECW pay-per-view to date? I, that, that's that's for another time to think of, but something to think about. I just feel like each match left something on the table. Um, several were overbooked and still kind of felt missing something. And the RVD Sabu uh, finish, I think, was just the wrong place, wrong time for this crowd at that time in the card after that match. But Credible and Whipwreck tried hard. Uh, Dreamer, Sandman, and the Dudleys put on a spectacle. The main event was fine, uh, and there's something. There was something to be had with that Sabu RVD match, even if it wasn't the classic that I was hoping for. So, all that said, overall, I think this show is uh, an exemplary five out of ten. So, I clearly enjoyed this more than both of you. Um, I think. You know, it's it's not the best ECW pay-per-view. Um, it has some moments that we could do without. Obviously, you know, the level of violence between Bam Bam and New Jack. But I enjoyed the RVD Sabu match. Um, obviously, the Dudleys were as awesome as always. Um, I have given this a seven. So, we are now going to run through the TV for the month. Week 2's TV was pretty much just a highlight show of Wrestlepalooza. Um, pretty much going through everything that we've already seen. The only thing of note, really, is that we get told that Fonzie had paid Jeff Jones to be 
down the middle and that technically it didn't matter which one of his guys won because Fonzie won. Week Freeze TV opens up with Joel Gertner and the Dudleys. It is I, the quintessential stud muffin, Joel, bigger than a Snickers bar and tons more satisfying, Gertner. And for all you people have in your hardcore icons like the drunken Sandman, in your heroes like Tommy Dreamer, in your shooters like Taz, what you people don't have is any inkling of an idea as to how exactly the Dudley boys are going to make a mockery of your terms hardcore and extreme. The Dudley boys plan on raising the violence quotient in ECW. And believe you me, they're doing it on your behalf. They're doing it only to raise the same plateau, the same level of disrespect that you people have shown in your demeanor towards the Dudley boys. It appears that you people don't approve of, perhaps don't respect, the way Big Daddy Dudley brought up his fine young sons. Take a look at my face. Get a good look. Look at my eyes. Black and blue. Broken blood vessels. Detached retina. Smashed in the side over here. You think there's anybody in ECW who can hand the Dudley boys a beating like our daddy used to? You think there's anybody in ECW who can beat us within an inch of our life like he used to do when we were growing up just to make us a little tougher? You know what the sick part is? You people out there, you enjoy it. You get off on it. You love it. You love the violence. Well, if it's violence you want, It's violence. I testify. We will give you. <laughs> he says that no one has any idea how the Dudleys are going to raising the violence in ECW. The fans don't respect the Dudleys. Bubba says no one can beat on the Dudleys like their dad did. And if you want violence, that's what you're going to get. We then have Taz doing guest commentary on some matches, saying that he is the heavyweight champion. We see Danny Doring versus Chris Chetty. That doesn't happen as Taz makes his way down to the ring, beats them both up, and then gets let out in cuffs again. We then see Sabu going against Chris Chetty in an okay match, which Sabu wins with a triple moonsault. 
the FBI and the BWO have a, another match where we see the FBI mug down the BWO with chair shots. We then get a Lance versus Bam Bam match. Before the match happens, the triple threat all come out. Candido says that they've overcome adversary before and they want to see what type of man Lance was and asked if he'd wanted to be a member of the triple threat. Lance says no because of Candido being a pain in the ass. Jane says that it's okay. He's got his back. So Lance goes, okay, I'll join. Only to smash Chris in the face with the belt. As I said, we get a match between Lance and Bam Bam, which sees Bam Bam winning after hitting greetings from Asbury Park. This was a really, really good match. Basically, Bam Bam doing all the big guy stuff, lobbing Lance around, and Lance flies around quite well. We then see RVD versus Doug Furness, where RVD wins after hitting a Van Daminator. I will say, if you can go out of your way and watch this match, this is a really, really good TV match. RVD hits all the high-flying stuff that you'd expect, and Furness is great. And at the end of it, we get some Sabu dissension as well. We then get a promo package to end the show, with Fonzie telling us that RVD and Sabu are inseparable. Lance says that he's sick of Candido and wants a one-on-one match, but instead Chris says that they're going to have a dream partner match. Chris picks Sabu and Lance picks RVD. So, boys, what are our feelings on Week Freeze TV? And as I said, a couple of really good matches, one between Bam Bam and Lance and RVD and Furnace. Rory? Yeah, see, there you go. This goes back to what you said about RVD. Somebody like Doug Furness is exactly the right opponent for him. Somebody who can go, somebody who can hold matches together. He can let RVD go out there and do all this crazy stuff, but he can harness it, he can hold it, he can make it work within the context of a really sound professional wrestling match. Put RVD in people with people like Furness, and he's going to improve, and <clears throat> that is what he needs. As I said earlier, Sabu can afford to be a spot monkey all his life. I don't think RVD can. I don't think we need another carbon copy if they eventually do break them off, which is going to happen for a while. But I do think RVD needs to just fly on his own, pun intended, pretty soon. So get somebody in there who's going to really give him the chops and furnaces that man. And yes, I really enjoyed Bam Bam, the Bam Bam match too. Again, right opponent in there with a solid worker who they really are very, very lucky to have. I did like at the end of this one where... He had the slow build of what the match was going to be. First, it's going to be a, a between a Candido and Storm. First, it's going to be a one-on-one match. Then it's going to be a tag team match in which Candido's obviously going to pick Bam Bam. Then he's not allowed to pick Bam Bam. And they're going back and forth in what are obviously pre-tapes, but they're still stood in the same position. And we're supposed to believe that Storm and Candido are actually talking to each other when they're clearly not. And they're both just conducting this in the bathroom because Dusty Rose might have been booking this again two years ago, perhaps. I don't know. So that could have been a a little tighter. But yes, uh, uh, a good TV show with good matches. And this is what ECW need more of. This is a TV show which didn't just feel like a chopped together highlights program. I do think they need to get more episodic TV best they can, obviously dependent on filming time, when they can book arenas, that kind of thing. 
but yeah, this was a really good uh, 45 minutes of TV. Eric? Man, there are so many. I'm going to... Uh, this furnace match, I think, kind of points out, as Rory said, there are so many good opponents for RVD right now on the ECW roster. So Furnace, Lance Storm, Al Snow, um, Chris Candido, Mikey Whipwreck, we saw uh, the next week, he and RVD had a good match. Jerry Lynn, dare I even say just incredible, perhaps. And I'm probably leaving some other guys out. There are a lot of really good matchups for RVD on this roster of guys that can really go with him, but can kind of rein him in uh, and, and use their experience uh, to an advantage. So, yeah, I'm excited to see RVD in more matches like this. Hell, the guy main event at each of the next three hardcore TVs, uh, or this one and the next two. Um, and so ECW's clearly got big plans for this guy. Um, and he's their most entertaining overall worker, in my opinion, between this how he can kind of slide between styles, but he still has his own... Um, really unique hybrid style too. Um, and then, oh, and Bam Bam, that's the other opponent that I might like to see for RVD is RVD and Bam Bam trying to put together one of those big guy, little guy matches where RVD can fly around for Bam Bam and sell like perfect. And, and then, you know, Bam Bam can take and absorb all of that high impact offense that RVD has. And it, you could tell a really classic David Glass story with that. So that'd be really cool because Bam Bam and, and, uh, Lance Storm had a good match too, and it just kind of shows that maybe the problem with Russell Palooza wasn't necessarily the workers, but how they were matched up. Because you could have had Bam Bam with a better worker, you could have had RVD with a, a, a paired up with somebody that's uh, more of a Styles match than maybe he and Sabu are. And so I'm really optimistic after watching the next, you know, this and the next two weeks of television about the the quality of in ring work that ECW has with some of these guys. It almost reminds me of when uh, Benoit Malenko were here, where you just look and you think, holy shit, they have way too many good workers for a company that size. And so I'm optimistic. So we go into week four's show, and one of you two is going to have to explain this to me because it's lost on me. Because they open the show with a massive chant of Seinfeld sucks dick, and they also reference Seinfeld loads I, am I missing this? Is this something that's like American that we don't have over here, or is it just something that I'm oblivious to? So, okay, as Eric. the as the American, yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, Seinfeld is a show uh, with a comedian named Jerry Seinfeld, um, and it is by far the most popular uh, television show, or at least comedic television show, uh, in the U.S. for the past eight or nine years. I think it started in the late 80s or early 90s. And the day of this show, I believe, coincided, uh, if not to the day, near to the day of the series finale, the very last episode that was ever going to air of Seinfeld. And so ECW kind of, uh, in New York, which is where Seinfeld takes place, it's a very New York-centric show. New York almost plays a character in the show. And ECW almost counter-programmed another New York event uh, directly against the Seinfeld finale, which is probably going to be watched by 50 million people. Uh, and this probably won't have the same type uh, or volume of viewership as, as that. But yes, uh, this was ECW's answer to the uh, series finale of the most popular show of the last decade in the United States. Yeah, I've never really watched Seinfeld. I, th I do think we get it over here, but it's like shown like, it's like 3 a.m. on a Tuesday morning on Channel 4 or something like that. So um, it's just tucked away on Channel 4. I mean, Channel 4 is sort of the, uh, the 
terrestrial station for American imports over here. But for some reason, they still like to show things like Bewitched and <laughs> the Golden Girls during prime time. <laughs> yeah, so Seinfeld gets relegated to the uh, the 3 a.m. slot. But I did actually get, so I've only, I've only ever watched about five minutes of Seinfeld in my life. But I did get the Joey Styles reference when he said, no, this match is not about nothing. So there you go. I got one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least at least one of us got the reference. So we open up with Taz. Shut the music, ass. I got something to say, you see. What you people don't know about the triple threat don't want to admit it. Every one of those scumbag wrestlers don't want to admit it. And most of all, the ECW, aka Paul Heyman, won't admit that I am the world heavyweight champion. And it's simple. Hey, it's even simple from you people. For you people from Staten Island, you see, I single-handedly destroyed everybody's hero, Shane Douglas. I busted his skinny arm, I busted his face. That makes me the champ. And hey, everybody knows that there's no way a from Pittsburgh can beat up a man from Brooklyn. So what I got right here, you see, I'm not the uncrowned champion because I am the world heavyweight champion, and this is the proof. You could call it the Brooklyn World Belt. You could call it the the World Belt. You could call it anything you want. But enough with the chitter chatter, Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas, you piece of why don't you come out here, belt for belt, Brooklyn versus Pittsburgh, and bring it, bring it out. Yeah. 
You know, you come out here, you talk about how you want Shane. You want Shane Douglas, you want his title. You say that you want a champion, you want to be a champion. You may have gotten a Douglas in the past. But the only way you're getting a Douglas in the future is through me. He comes out saying that no one will admit that he is the world champ. He destroyed Shane. And he brings out his own belt. You can call it the Brooklyn World Belt. You can call it the FTW Belt. But I am the world heavyweight champion. He then calls out Shane. Obviously, Shane's not going to be there. Bam Bam comes out. He says that he's no champion and last time he went through the ring. And the only way to get to Shane will be through him. Taz says that Bam Bam will be his first victim. At this point, refs fill the ring as Bam Bam press slams one of the refs into the crowd as they brawl until security splits them up. We then see an awesome match between Jerry Lynn and Just Incredible. Jerry Lynn wins after reversing That's Incredible into his own for the win. We get a Sabu versus Danny Doring match. Uh, pretty sort of standard Sabu affair. He wins with the camel clutch. We get Shane phoning in, telling him that he, if he was hearing right, that Taz can't be the champ, and says that he will be at the ECW arena to show why he is still the franchise. We then get a match between Chris Candido and Jamie Dundee, which Chris wins with a flying headbutt. And then we get a TV title match between RVD and Mikey Whipwreck, which was a really good match until Sabu comes out to ruin it, where he comes out with a triple jump elbow that puts Mikey through a table, which then leads to RVD kicking Sabu in the head as they brawl. Candido comes out to make the save and turn it into a double team on RVD. That is until Storm comes out. They end the show all brawling with each other. So, a couple of major points from this one. First off, as we mentioned in the news, the FTW, the Fuck the World Heavyweight Championship belt has been introduced by Taz. Is this going to be just a stopgap for while Shane is on the fence, or do you feel the ECW need a third belt? Eric? I don't... This feels more like the million-dollar belt to me than anything else. Um, this feels like a, a, a gimmick introduced to like enhance somebody else's character more than it does as something that can be really competed for as you would the television of the world or the tag titles. I could be absolutely wrong. This could be ECW trying to do something that's completely out of left field that's never been seen in another company because so far they've only had those traditional um, title designations. But yeah, I don't know. If, if this is going to be something to stop Gap not having a world champion, why the hell did you keep the world heavyweight title on Shane? Why not 
why not set it up where you have Shane drop it because he's injured and then have Taz win it or have a tournament and Taz wins and then Shane comes back after a period of rest and they have their long-anticipated match. See, I should be booking this stuff. It's really easy. But no, instead, you have the FTW title, and I'm just not sure what this does other than just give Taz another badass thing to put in his trophy case. If it's something that they're going to be competing for, I'm interested to see. It could almost be one of the one of these things where it's like, you know, the first guy that beats Taz is like the next badass on the block. I guess that could be one way to do it. You know, Taz holds this belt until he loses it. Um, and he's only going to lose it when somebody's a bigger, badder, meaner bully than he is. So that, that could be one thing they do with it. But if it's something that they're going to be, you know, taking really, really seriously as in a television or another world title, I think that's just kind of strange. I think it's a misfire. Fair enough. And what was your opinions on the in-ring action for the month? Or for the week even. Yeah, this was another show two weeks in a row that had a couple of really good matches on it. The Credible Lynn match, these guys have had good matches in the past, and they'll have another one uh, on the last week's TV, I think, is when it was. Uh, yep, and these guys always have a good match. Again, it's two good hands who know how to work a match. And incredible for all the flaws that we point out, and there are numerous with his character work, uh, can go in the ring when he's in there with somebody that can take him uh, to high places. Um the RVD and Whipwreck just murdered themselves for our entertainment. That was a hell of an entertaining match. These two guys should get more time, I think. And it could be a good stopgap match for RVD on a pay-per-view that needs just a wrestling match. It would be RVD and Whipwreck. Just go out there, give them 15 minutes, and let them go to town. Of course, this had shenanigans at the finish, but it really is kind of you know, framing the non-Tommy Dreamer side of the upper mid-card of ECW. And it's interesting because we have a lot of possibilities here between these four guys or I guess more than four guys by the time it was all said and done. And Rory, uh, the title and the matches. Yeah, uh, matches, I just want to briefly mention Credible versus Lynn. I think it says a lot about where they're going with Justin, that Lynn beat him clean as a whistle with Credible's own finish in the middle of the ring. And it's pushed as an upset. No, yes, Jerry Lynn, infinitely superior worker to Credible, beats him, seen as an upset goes to show where credible is on the pecking order rightly or wrongly i still don't think he deserves to be there but we've already discussed that yeah the ftw title my power is inordinate is it not yesterday i watched SummerSlam 91 and here we are discussing the million dollar title and that is kind of what it feels like and that doesn't fit taz's character ted dibiase would have his own title belt he's a rich man he can buy one so Taz, they got it so right at the pay-per-view that Taz wants the world title so much he will kick his way out of a car to get it. And now the next week he decides, ah, fuck that. I'll just make my own belt and pretend it's the world championship. No, 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 no. It almost doesn't really matter where they go with it and if they treat it as a serious title going forward. If you want to be the world champion that badly, yet you can just invent your own title and pretend it is the world belt, and everybody's going to agree with you that it is the equivalent of the world belt, then why doesn't everybody else do it? You know, it's it's a logic flaw that they didn't need to walk into. I, I can't buy it. it. It doesn't work for Taz. I want him to be the person who wants the world championship. The world championship. Don't be messing around with this. And he didn't even win it in a tournament in Rio de Janeiro, for goodness sake. <laughs> That is very, very true. So we go into the last show of the month and we open up with a Shane promo. 
from other organizations and they haven't come because they've been too big a p Joey. At Wrestlepalooza, a man with a fractured palate, a fractured cheekbone, a elbow entered the ring against a very credible opponent. Not you, Heyman, or anybody out there gave me a chillable's chance in hell to win. But, at the end of a match that I don't even remember, I was able to score a pinfall against Al Snow and the head. It was in these tights that I built that legacy, Joey Styles. These are what modern day gladiators wear, Joey Styles. And we in ECW have built a reputation that in 
Listen, I got something to say, and no one in the back told me to say it. I'm not comfortable saying it, but I got to get it off my chest. Well, if I suck, your mother taught me, mother Now, Now, why don't you shut up and let the people you pay to see draw money shut the bitch. Now Shane, at Wrestlepalooza, you exemplified what it was to be a champion. I'm going to give you that. I've wrestled hurt. The guys in the back all wrestled hurt. Unlike wrestlers and other companies here, we work injured. And you, you work injured. I know how injured you work because I busted up your arm. And it's hard for me to say it, but I respect that. But you see, you're not 100% Shane, you need help, and that's where I come in, hold this. you a question. Who's the biggest scumbag in this business? Me. Who's the biggest ass in this company? Me. Every time one of those goofy kayfabe sheets writes something, oh, this wrestler left ECW because Taz is an Oh, nobody likes Taz. You know why? Because brother, I'm the best thing that can watch your back and you need my help. But there's a loophole, Shane. I'm going to watch your back, and ain't no one going to get to you, especially with me, him, and him watching it. But I want to count. When you come back from that surgery, I want a shot. Belt for belt, whatever you want to call it. Hey, I claim myself the World Heavyweight Champ, but everybody knows my belt don't mean You're the real champ, and I want to shot that belt when you come back. Either we raise the three fingers tonight as a unit Or I walk, brother This is a one-time deal I ain't got time to dilly-dally Make a decision and we'll raise the fingers I ain't got all day, brother Make the decision
as you've just heard, obviously he goes on about throwing down the NWA belt in that ring and was called called out all the other champs who never turned up. But out comes Taz. He says that he wants to talk to Shane. He says that WrestlePalooza, he respected the fact that he worked hurt. Taz then, for some bizarre twist of fate, takes off his track top, revealing a triple threat shirt. He says that he is the biggest scumbag and arsehole in the company, but he will get Shane's back. All for the wonderful exchange of a title shock when he's back. Taz then raises the three fingers of the triple threat. At this point, Taz starts shaking hands with Chris. Bam Bam's not too sure, but he, he walks out. He then goes to shake hands with Shane himself. He then uses a judo arm throw and puts him into an arm bar until Bam Bam and Chris make the save and security haul him off. We then see highlights of a two out of three falls match between Jerry Lynn and Just Incredible. Um, these are extensive, but yet still only highlights, um, which we see Just Incredible getting the decisive fall after hitting That's Incredible, and Justin wins 2-1. We see the Sabu and Chris Candido, RVD and Lance Storm match go to a no contest. Again, if you've got time this month, definitely get on the TV because, again, an, another amazing match, um, which, by the end of it, sees RVD and Sabu teaming up together to beat down Storm and Candido. This, this match has three of the best wrestlers in the world right now, plus Sabu, in an amazing tag match, which, of everything this month, and there's a lot of good things to watch. If you only have time to watch one thing, ECW, this is what I would definitely recommend watching. Eric, I will come to you for that last week's TV. Thoughts on the Taz attempts to join the triple threat only to take out Shane and that tag match. Yeah, if we're going to uh, talk about it all the times ECW kind of lacks in the psychology department. We got to point out when they do it right. And uh, Fairfax to Bam Bam Bigelow uh, in that segment, because he was the only one and Shane and Bam Bam and, and Taz have a history. So it makes sense. And it, it it's logical and it, it, it's psychological. And they thought about it and it worked. And Bam Bam was the only guy telling the other guys in the triple threat, Hey, uh, can't trust this guy. Uh, I don't. I don't buy it. I'm not going to shake his hand. I'm not going to be affiliated with this lunatic Taz. You can't trust him. Even Bam Bam, the guy who has flames tattooed to his face, knew that Taz was too much of a lunatic to be affiliated with. I mean, and and it was true, and and it was great because they thought about it well enough. And WCW, take note: you can have logical segments that go along where you think through them, and they don't just drag. Taz waited until the triple threat was gone to beat the shit out of Shane and he because he would knew he would have a, a free shot at this guy who's already injured. It was a really well thought out segment. I know it's tough for one guy and I think at this point it pretty much is just Paul uh, Paulie dangerously Paul Heyman whatever you want to call him 
booking this stuff. And it's tough for one guy to think through every segment with that much detail. But, you know, when it when ECW does it right and they do a segment like this right, it really works. And this was a great segment. I would say if you're going to watch one thing of ECW this month, go out of your way to watch just the May 30 Hardcore TV, especially if you only have 45 minutes or so, because that segment and the last match of the night, which, Chris, you're absolutely correct, was the best thing ECW put on television the whole month. And it wrapped up this ongoing Sabu RVD uh, uh, issue. And those guys appear to be reconciled, which is good because that means they won't be fighting each other anytime soon. They can both fight other guys that work better with their styles. And then, yeah, Candido Storm and RVD just brought it. And this match was super fun. It was a doozy. And that pay-per-view was missing a match like this. And if you put this match or a match like this on that show, uh, I think that show would have been miles and miles better, in my opinion, than it was. So, yeah, go anywhere to watch this match. Absolutely fun stuff. Rory? Completely agree. I thought the opening segment was great, and it atoned for the FTW nonsense the week before. I don't think, much like with the corporate Austin uh, skit at the start of last month on Raw. I don't think anybody really believed that Taz was joining the triple threat and everybody was waiting for him to just attack them. But it was still so much fun getting there. And every minute of the segment, they managed to feel, and it didn't just feel like it, it didn't just feel like 50 minutes of t- marking TV time, just like Austin McMahon. You knew Austin was going to rip off his clothes his suit, his hat and whatever, his Gucci shoes and attack McMahon. But the 50 minutes leading up to it was still great. You knew that Taz was going to lay, lay somebody in the Taz mission, but the 50 minutes up to it was great. Sometimes pro wrestling is all about knowing what you're going to get. That doesn't make it a bad thing. Predictable doesn't always mean boring. It means It can often mean and should mean the next cogent place to be in the story. And that happened here and it keeps things rolling and it was great. A main event tag match felt like a big deal, which I think was important for Storm and Candido. It had been built, as I say, over the previous two weeks. This felt like them being given a really, a really large opportunity of a main event of a TV show, and they took it. Huge credit to ECW for bringing Sabu and RVD back together without just doing a hackneyed swerve in the middle of the match. I hate turns, especially when tag teams are involved in which somebody gets beaten up by guys for the whole of the match, or he beats them up for the whole of the match and then sides with them. I hate that. It makes no sense. Here, they're on opposite sides, but as the match went on, it went on, it went on, it just felt Sabu and RPD just almost naturally gravitating back towards each other. So, yeah, we're the tag team here. We've tried against each other. It doesn't really work. Now let's raise some hell. And get back together, but still with a little bit of needle between us. I like that. It brings the story full circle. And I think it did a better job of explaining what the whole Sabu RVD thing is about than the 30-minute draw did on the pay-per-view. So, yeah, I agree. If you've got a spare hour, you can get hold of the tape, as hard as that may be. Watch this edition of Hardcore TV. It's one of the best TV shows we've seen as part of this project in 1998. It's a great, great watch. So it leaves me with to say thank you very much to our fearless leader, Rory, for gracing us with his presence, uh, slumming it on ECW this month. 
Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go for a, 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 a liquid nitrogen shower afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, so obviously, people probably, if they listen to it in order, will have already heard uh, episode one and two. Uh, obviously, one being the WF show and two being WCW. Uh, but what wonders do we have in the, the land of WCW this month? With WCW, we will be looking at Slamboree, is our main focus there. We will be talking about the, we will, may have heard, may not have heard, the true formation of the Wolfpack, the old red and black, and see what we think about that. And Eric Bischoff challenging Vince McMahon. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and over in part one, Over the Edge, is Dude Lovin' stone cold i believe dude love and austin doing it one more time and in my opinion spoiler alert doing it even better so that's what you can get on those obviously if you want stuff early because this will be early because it's cw and we always get on it quick you can get that by pledging just a little bit of money over at patreon patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 yrs uh five dollars a month which i believe is about three pounds seventy in english will get you early access and eternal gratitude from all of us as it does help uh basically cover the costs of having the pro wrestling torch and observer so we can get the news and sort of you know have the education and full full viewship of all the things that we need to make this show what it is for you um so rory other than plugs for the show do you have anything else that you would like to plug or pimp? <laughs> Nothing I talk about on this particular podcast. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, just to say a thank you to everybody who's been with us uh, since the start. Any new listeners as well. Do leave us a review, be it on Apple Podcasts, as I now call it, Podbean, wherever it is. Uh, we do read them. We'd love to hear your views on the show or drop us a line on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Always looking for new people to join the fray as well. So get in touch on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Your support is very much appreciated. And as always, it is a great pleasure to have our legal expert all the way from the States with us. Eric, thank you very much. Is there anything that you would like to pimp and get the people to do or want or, you know, <laughs> anything else that you can think of? Uh, so if you're going to leave a review uh, on iTunes or whatever they call it now, Apple Podcasts, um, if you don't just click the five stars, but if you just say anything and it doesn't matter what it is, just type some letters into the damn thing and submit it. Um, that's, uh, that, that's a big thing. Uh, I've learned that uh, being an avid podcast listener that apparently you need to add, write something uh, in the comments in order for it to count heavily on the metric. And, you know, we're not looking for to explode or anything, but if you are going to leave the five stars, just why don't you leave a couple comments there uh, while you're already on the page and we'd really appreciate it. And you can catch me on Twitter at Modern Day Lawyer uh, for um, just anything that I'm uh, feeling whimsical about after work uh, when I've had a couple glasses of whiskey. Uh, but no, this has been great, Chris. I, I like getting down to Philadelphia and getting my rolling my sleeves up and getting my jeans dirty and getting a little bit of new blood or new Jack's blood uh, on my trousers and all those things that come. So uh, until next time, my friend, this has been uh, this has been a little slice of heaven for the the hardcore wrestling fan in me. 
And as always, if you want to hear my musing on WCW, you can listen to Super Brawls. Um, we still haven't got around to doing the new episode, um, but at some point it will happen. And Show and Tell the Tunes, by the time this goes out for general consumption, should have had episode 100 out, um, because the plan is to have it out on my birthday and this going out for general consumption just after it. So, you know, there's a hundred shows of free music. Go and listen to it. You have ears. You might find your new favourite band. And we are on we are on at least one of them each, are we not? You are. Yeah, yeah. Both of you have, have graced us with your musical musings. So, you know, if you want to know what sort of stuff Eric likes, come and listen. You wanna know what sort of stuff Rory likes? Come and listen. You know, there is, what have we done? We've done a special on The Misfits, a three-part special on The Misfits, three parts on Kid Rock, CKY, Zebrahead, Wednesday 13. And, you know, the rest of the shows are just literally playlists that can go anywhere. So if you do think that that would interest you, go find Show and Tell with Tunes on iTunes and Podbeam and all the other wonderful podcast places and obviously as we've said for wrestling 20 years ago rating review on itunes would be wonderful so all that does is leaves me to say thank you very much for listening to another episode of wrestling 20 years ago and until june goodbye